We've been looking at the Gospels and us. We've been kind of launching off of Romans 15, verse 4. So I thought we'd just start there again. And uh, when we talk about the Gospels, uh, I was doing this more as an overview, as a treetop, but then also as a connection for you and I. Uh, the, the Gospel of Luke is where we're at this morning. Romans 15, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And that's a great verse. It's a verse that tells you and I, as Bible students, as, as a student of the book, that we should know all of it, Genesis through the Revelation. Uh, again, it's for our learning, not obedience, now, we obey Romans to Philemon, but our learning, the Apostle Paul makes assumptions that you understand Israel and key components of her history and then of her, uh, of her program. Again, for, and the reason is that comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. If you and I understand what the Lord is going to do and is doing and was doing, or I'm sorry, was doing through the nation of Israel, then we have hope that he's going to do what? The same with us. And just as he gave us the Spirit uh, 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 in Ephesians 1.13, he sealed us with the Spirit, okay? The earnest of our, in, uh, of our expect, he's going to do what? Because he gave us the Spirit, he's going to do what he said he's going to do for us. And that brings hope to us in the dark days of life, because life does carry dark days from time to time. And I'll be honest with you, if you understand what's going on, you know, I wouldn't be in the dark days. I'd be living in the mountaintops, you know, and up. So... When you think about those things and you really begin to look at them, you, uh, come on in, guys, <laughs> you, you begin to understand what's happening. So we begin looking at the issues of the Gospels, and we started with the four Gospels, and today we're in the, the Gospel of Luke. And what we saw was we went back and we saw there's four behold statements, and there's four branch statements. All right, behold your king, there's Matthew, okay? And in Matthew, what we see is what does the Lord say, all right? Here's what he says. We want to know what the king pronounces. That's why there's 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. Matthew is, 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 is the biggest of the, of the gospels. Why? Because we want to know what the king says. Here's the proclamations. Here's the royal decree. In Mark, behold your servant. Now we want to know what the son, what will the servant do? What's, can he do the work of a servant? In Matthew, we have a genealogy. We need to know he's got rights to the, to the, to the, to the throne. Mark, no genealogy. We don't care where the servant came from. We just want to know, can the servant work? Key words in Mark is and, and immediately, straightway, straight. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. And there's 16 chapters in Mark. Now, if you took all the dialogue out of Matthew, Mark would be the bigger book because there's not a lot of dialogue in Mark. Mark gets right to the point, right to it. He doesn't do all this stuff. Luke, where we're at today, this morning, so you need Luke. Here is, behold, the man. And now we're going to see the humanity of the Lord. We're going to see how he felt, how he feels about things, what he's going to go through, and what he's going to, what, what he's going to accomplish as our kinsman redeemer. By the way, John says, Behold your God. And in John, we see him say, I am. And he does that saying, seven times, and you begin to see the seven, the seven Jehovah compound names work out, and we'll spend some time looking at all that. But in the Gospels, we see that. Paul's, Paul is making you and I aware, Romans 15, verse 4, you understand this, see? Then you got some comfort, because what did the Lord do as he was born of Mary? And he came and he walked amongst men. He came and he literally does every one of these. So what can I do? What he said he's going to do for Israel as Israel's Messiah, what's he doing for me? Same thing. He's what? My Savior. And everything he says, when he says you're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, Ephesians 1.3, do you believe him? Are you sure? Because sometimes you don't act like it. Sometimes you try to do things to gain favor. That He doesn't say that. He says, no, 
I gave you all the spiritual blessings. Colossians 2, I've made you complete. You see, when you get the scriptures together and you begin to see them, you go, wow, look at what he did there, because did he do? Yeah. Paul comes in, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, for I delivered unto you first of all, how that Christ, what, died, was buried, and resurrection. How do you know how Christ died? How do you know that? You don't read about how he died in, in Romans of Philemon. Where do you read about that? In the Gospels. You and I should know how he, how did he, you go into the end of Mark, and the end of Matthew, and the end of John, and the end of Luke, and you begin to see how he died. Come on over to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. We looked at this one last time. Philippians 2, when we were dealing with Mark. Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a what? Where do I read about him being in the form of a servant? Mark has to be. I can't read about that anywhere else. Then he says, And was made in the likeness of men, how do I know how he was made in the life? Now I got Matthew 3, I need Matthew 1, and I need Luke 1, see? So I understand the detail. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And man, there, I need the end of this. Why? Because I need, the, I need to have the full picture. I don't need a partial thing. I, now, I believe, and by the way, in Philippians 2, Paul's doing, he's bringing all that up to teach you and I that we need to have the lifestyle and the living of the Godhead in our life. He's looking at that back up in verse 3, and he says what you ought to be doing is what the Godhead has been doing for eternity since, well, they never had a beginning, but all the time, and that is esteeming others better than yourselves. That's how you live. That's how you should be living because that's how the Godhead lives is this issue of, of esteeming others better than yourselves. And that's what Philippians 2, 5 to 8 is all about. Actually, 5 to 11. Look at what the, how the Godhead lived amongst themselves and the life that they had, and let's go put that on display in your life when you're dealing with each other. Now, we're in Luke. We're not in Philippians, so go to Luke. I could preach that all day long to you, and we will get there. So when you come to Luke, you're going to come to the presentation of the man. By the way, there's some angelic creatures, the cherubim, and the seraphim. The cherubim, the seraphim, there's a face on them of a lion. There's an ox. There's a man. And there's an eagle. It's interesting. There they are. That's why you know there's only four gospels, not five. There is a fifth gospel. There's a fifth cherub, by the way, that covereth. We'll talk about him in a couple weeks when we talk about us. Okay? But there's a a correspondence there. That's how you know there's only four, not five. There's one. And by the way, if the Lord God Almighty wanted it to be one, he would have written how many? One. He didn't. Four. Here's a fourfold prophetic picture of our Messiah. Paul says the Messiah of Israel is our Savior now. He's our king. He's ours. So there you have it. Now, Luke 1. Let's talk about Luke. In Luke, we're going to see how the Lord felt. You've got Dr. Luke, paging Dr. Luke. I lost my thing here. Okay, paging Dr. Luke. Rick lost his notes. All right? So when you come to Luke, Luke 1, Luke 1, 1, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth an order of declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things, from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theopolis, that thou mayest know that the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. When Luke starts the book, he starts with this declaration of, I am going to come over here and I am going to take all of the historical accounts and I'm going to go and re-interview all of the witnesses and make sure that the, that the historical account is accurate. 
Because history is written by those who win, never written by the losers. So we're going to make sure this is all accurate. And as a doctor, and a doctor is very precise, the historic historian, he's coming in and he comes in and he begins to talk to those that were there, the eyewitnesses. So he's going to, you think about Matthew. Matthew starts with the genealogy. Matthew, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and boom. Mark starts with his public ministry right off the bat, chapter 1. Luke, he comes in, and he's going to give you a ton of details in chapter 1. There's 70, no, there's 80 verses, and you're going to begin to see the details about the nativity. You're going to see the details of Zacharias and Elizabeth and John the Baptist, and you literally can use the information, the historical details to date and to understand that the birth of Christ is not in December 25th, praise the Lord, hallelujah. It's rather later on, and it's actually late September, okay? But yet something did happen in the end of December, and it's called the, 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 the visit of the, holy, uh, of, the, of the highest and of the Spirit on Mary, and it's the, the virgin conception. But, but that gets polluted by religion to say what? No, he was born you know, way in a manger and all that good stuff. And, and again, I got details that I can do what? I can come in and draw and look and draw it out and understand when the Lord was really born. And you can literally get it down if you need to, if you're that brilliant with the, with the dating and stuff. But then you find out that who else is, what else is going on here? Oh, JB, John the Baptist. They're cousins, six months older. So here comes the crier in the wilderness, and he's a family relation to the one he's going to be witnessing to. So you got all of this detail. you got all of this detail about family relationships. Come over to verse 32. Verse 32. So you've got this. Luke takes the historical accounts. And, and, and again, he's going to do some wonderful things here. If you look at verse 32, uh, well, verse 30, And the angel said unto Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now, you see that fear not? When the angel Gabriel talked to Zacharias, verse 12, and when Zacharias saw him, and that's going to be the angel of the Lord standing there on verse 11, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and off he goes. And you know what's happened right there? 400 years of silence from God talking directly to the nation of Israel is broken. Zacharias, priest, he knows what that angel's all about, sees that guy and goes, What? What did you just say? Can you say that again? And, and the angel's like, no. But look at Mary. Mary doesn't do that. Zacharias questions the angel, and there's some doubt there, so he shut. Mary doesn't do that. Look, look at verse 31. And behold, thou hast, uh, thou, thou sh uh, I'm sorry, verse 30. Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, preacher, come on. What See what she, she doesn't miss a beat, does she? That little handmaiden of faith. She says, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to... The... She's no doubt, no question. She's right there with the book. She knows what the word of God is. She knows what Isaiah has said. She knows what the prophets had said about the coming of the Messiah and how it's going to be. And she's right where she's supposed to be. She knows Psalms 116, that she's the, that, that issue of the handmaiden. She's got, she, but man, old Zacharias, he, he's a typical man, question, oh, what are you talking about? Hey, show, sit down here and talk to me. And okay? But you don't see that anywhere else but where? With the doctor, with Luke. Come over. By the way, all the detail here, her family, her relationship with Elizabeth, down in verse 46 to 56, she's quoting the Old Testament. 
What's wonderful, verse 46, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my what? What did Mary know? She's a sinner. She needs a Savior, not a holy, immaculate thing that religion does. She knows what? She goes, I'm a sinner, and this baby that's in my belly here is my Savior. Whoa, whoa. You only see that in Luke, though. If you look across the page there at chapter 2, verse 19, he says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Isn't that interesting? Only the doctor can get out of what's really going on inside of your thinking, and he does that. By the way, do you notice no star, no nativity, no angels in the shepherds, no wise men? You get all that in Matthew, don't you? Well, you, you do get some shepherds, I shouldn't say that, but no wise men. You do have a nativity scene. I'm sorry, chapter 2. What do you get in Matthew 1? You get the genealogy, don't you? Come over to Luke 3. Luke 3. In Matthew 1, we, when we were in Matthew, we see the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and how it goes back through uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary, stepdad. But yet in his genealogy, you remember Jeconias was cursed, and no, none of his seed was ever going to sit on the throne of David. But in Mary, we see in chapter 3, we see Mary's genealogy. And by the way, Mary's genealogy goes all the way back to Adam, because that's the son of man, the son of, I'm sorry, the seed of the woman issue. Well, look at verse 31, which was the son of that guy that, you know, the end of the verse, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David. Mary's claim to David's throne is not through Jeconias and Solomon, it's through Nathan. That's how you know Joseph cannot be the daddy of the Lord Jesus Christ. His genealogy takes him back through, but just through a cursed line, Jeconiah. Mary, she's the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. Hers is protected because where did it, her claim go back? Through Nathan. So you see the genealogy. In Matthew, you see Abraham, you see David, you see the throne. But in Mary, verse 38 which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Now we're back to Adam. That's very interesting. That's why Paul and Luke were buddies. Because you know where Paul takes you and I back to? Adam. Where did Luke go back to? Adam. If any of the four Gospels, you ought to know the best and the deepest, it's Luke. Because who is he? He is the son of man. He, he's the man. He's the son of God, yes, but he's the son of man. Now, come back to Psalms 8, Psalms chapter 8, and just catch some of this here. Psalms 8 and verse 4. Psalms 8 and verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man? that thou visited. He's talking about humanity, and what does he call him? The Son of Man. So what is Luke going to do? Luke's going to use that title, Son of Man. He's going to use it 27 times because what's Luke doing? He's going to show the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you come back to Luke, actually you need Hebrews 2, just so you see the verses. Hebrews 2. Did I lose you? Hebrews 2, verse 5, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one is certain, one, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visited him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. And did have set him over the works of thy hands. Well, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's made a little lower than the angels. He takes on the seed of Abraham, the flesh of Abraham. So when you come back to Luke, it's all about his humanity and him being a man, 
100% humanity. Now, he's 100% God in deity and everything about. He is God. He's equal to God. But what did he do? He humbled himself and he became obedient. He comes over here and he puts on man, humanity, to come to do for man what man could never do for themselves. And that's interesting as we come into into the gospel of Luke. Look at Luke 2. Luke chapter 2. In in Luke, Luke keeps the Gentile in the picture. Luke will come along and he will say, yes, Israel, the Messiah of Israel, there he is. Yes, he's there. Yes, he's the one. But you know what? Israel is to be that channel of blessings for the Gentile. Israel is to come in and be the blessing for the nations out there. And it's this guy doing this. And you know what? It's fascinating how he does that. Look at Luke 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. So what can I do? I can go over to history books and we can locate it. The detail. Caesar here. By the way, Caesar Augustus is Herod's boss. Because Herod's going to come up here in a little bit. Verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to how many people? All people. Not many people, but all people. Isn't that interesting? All the people. He's going to be the Savior for who? For all people groups. But how is it going to come? It's going to come through the nation of Israel because who is he? He's Israel's Messiah. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You go over to Matthew 2, and you have Herod. They're in Jerusalem when the wise men show up and ask the question. Luke, bigger picture, broader picture here. Here's stuff going on. Look across the way at verse 25, Luke 2, 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon, Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What's, what's taking place? Well, keep reading. I'm sorry, I cut you short, didn't I? Verse 30, For my eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. You see the and? You know what Luke's doing? Luke's making a, he's making a proclamation here about, yeah, behold the man, but you know who this man is? He's the son of God. He's the son of man, and he's the one that's going to come and set Israel on the right course, and then through Israel going to pour out the blessings to the Gentiles. So as the Gentiles look and see, what are they, should they be learning? He, he's our redeemer too. But Israel isn't there. Israel drops the ball. All the people going to minister to the Gentiles. Luke 3, you have the ministry of John the Baptist. By the way, Matthew 3, pretty straightforward. Here's John, Mark, two verses about John, literally, and it's done. Luke 3, verse 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of the Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Etura, and of the region of uh, the, you know, look at all the detail. But who's, who's he talking about? the Roman government, the Gentile. Look at all of this stuff here, detail after detail. Verse 3, and he came, uh, uh, talking about John, in the, uh, out of verse 2 there, Ananias and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness, and he came into all the country round about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins, as it is written in the book of the word of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. All the flesh, verse 6, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. All, all what? All the flesh. That's everybody. So Luke is going to f- draw the attention to the details about 
not only the, the, the Messiah of Israel and the kingdom and what's going on and what John the Baptist is doing here. He's the messenger. Uh, prepare the way there, verse 3 and 4 and 5. And do all this so the kingdoms come and repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not only does he draw the, that attention, but then he says, and oh, by the way, all of that is designed to impact all, of the, all the people, <laughs> the Gentiles. Because who is the Lord ultimately going to be the kinsman redeemer for all. Again, John the Baptist, by the way, what, what was the reasoning for water baptism in verse 3? For the remissions of what? Sins. We were talking about that last hour, how religion today uses the wisdom of words and says you've got to be water baptized to be this, and that, an outward expression of an inward faith, and it's not the case at all. What's the reasoning for getting water baptized? For the remissions of sins. In, in, in Matthew chapter 3, it was to, to be delivered from the wrath to come. See, there's issues that are here, and Luke goes in there. Again, Luke is going to demonstrate quite a bit to us because he's he, Mary pondered in her hearts all these things. He's Dr. Luke. Now, hold on to Luke just real quick and give you Colossians 4. Go over to Colossians 4, just so you understand when, when I talk about doctor, what we're talking about here. Colossians 4 and verse 14. Paul is speaking, obviously, the book of Colossians. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. See that Luke, the beloved physician? Come over to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. At the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, he says, by the way, verse 10, you got Demas forsaking him for the loving the present world, and that is the case today in the body of Christ. People love the world way more than they love the Word of God. So what do they do? They leave. Then he talks about uh, uh, Cretan and Titus, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee. He is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to... These guys are all out. But who's there with him as he's going to die? Luke is. Luke's right. He's the beloved physician. Now, come back to Luke 4 because we're going to run through these verses. And I just want you to get the feel. All I'm after for you is to get the flavor. Luke is doing something that no other writer's doing. He's honing in on greater detail. Deeper thing and, and more detail because he is presenting the Lord as the Son of Man. Here's how he felt. Here's what he's going through. So there's some parables in Luke. All of the parables in Luke, except for two of them, begin with a certain man did so and so. Look at Luke 4 and verse 38. Now watch the doctor. Watch the doctor language. Luke 4, 38. Luke 4. Whoops, I have to get to Luke 4, verse 38. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's, Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother, so mother-in-law, was taken with a, what kind of fever? A great fever. Not just fever, but a what? A, it's, this is serious. She can die. It's a great fever. You know, you understand that. You know, my guys, when they were little, they said, oh, I don't feel good. I want to stay home from school. Touch them, Nothing. Go back. Get ready. Let's go. Then they go and stick their head with the hair dryer. Then, come on now. They kinder their daddy. I used to do it. Get the hair dryer going. Come in. And, See, I'm, oh, you're a little warm. Okay, go to bed. You can stay home. You know, hey, he ain't that kind of fever. This is a great fever. She's in a coma. She's, she's out of it. See, come over to chapter. You never did that, did you? Ah, you bunch of liars. You, I know that. You know, you take the thermometer out, stick it in the arm. There's no kids in here to learn the, the tricks. You know, get in there, get it warmed up. Shh. Look, honey, I'm 200 degrees. Woo, whoa, you're dead, you know. <laughs> Come on now. Chapter 5, Luke 5. Look at verse 12. Just, again, the detail. And it came to pass when he was, a, uh, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. 
See that? Full of leprosy. Not just has leprosy, but what? Full of it. In other words, the disease has run its course. This man's ready to die. And he goes to the Lord, and the Lord heals him. Verse 18, And behold, men brought in a, in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. See that? Taken. Not has it, not you know, just for the moment. It's, ta- it's been there lifelong. Chapter 7, chapter 7 and verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now when he ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. He just wasn't sick. He's what? Ready to die. Luke shows you that. You go back and you look in Matthew when he does this and he looks, and he's just sick. He just doesn't feel, he's just, you get that idea, he's just, you know, I'm sick, can't work, you know. No, he's ready to die. The, the book, the Luke just goes in and he's, he gives that human tenderness, that human touch. And again, the issue in Luke is, is to answer the question, is Jesus Christ really human? Can he feel? Come over to Hebrews 4. Can he know me? Is he, is this, is he genuinely human? Can he touch me? Or is he some kind of sorcerer, trickster? Or is he someone that just stands, uh, you know, uh, that introvert, stand over in the corner and don't talk to me? Hebrews 4. Luke begins to demonstrate the reality of sinless, perfect humanity of the Son of Man. He is holy without sin. And yet he is able to be touched by our infirmities. Hebrews 4, verse 15. Verse 14, seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, Though he were, oh, come on, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Momentum killer. 521. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What's Luke doing? Luke is going to point to the fact that the rea- he is sinless, perfect humanity, but yet what can, what can happen? He can be touched by our infirmity. He was tempted in all points common to man. Those three points of temptation are very basic, very big. They're the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You know that Paul in Galatians 5 lists for you the lust of the flesh? So you see it? I can identify the works of the flesh are these. Then he goes over and he says, okay, by the way, you got all those. Now there's some attitude sins you got to worry about. There's the lust of the eyes. The eyes, the gateway into the soul, the gateway into the inner man. And then he says, oh, by the way, you like human wisdom so much, and you're following that, and you, don't, you need to be over here in God's wisdom, 1 Corinthians 1, and there's the pride of life. Paul answers it. Luke, come back to Luke. Luke comes in, and he just says, hey, you need to understand that our Messiah, not only has he come to fulfill the word and to do the word and to be there and to take care of what needs to be. But he is human as much as you are, just without sin. And he can be felt. He can be the kinsman redeemer. Kinsman, kin of you, he's man. Redeemer, he's able, he's willing, he can do it. And he's the one. So when we get into Luke here, Luke begins to demonstrate the, human, the, the, the humanity side of the Lord. And, that, and the very fact that the Lord is going to depend on the Father at every turn. And he's going to come now, and, and in Luke, 
we see the Lord pray all the time. In Matthew, there's only one prayer listed. In Mark, we got him two times praying. But in Luke, we got him, he's praying all the time. What does humanity do? What do we do when things get going? All right, Father, if you fix this, I'll be at church every Sunday for the rest of my life. Come on, let's make a deal. It's in Luke where they go, hey, would you teach us to pray? And he says, yeah, I'd love to. Let's hear how we do it. Look at Luke 3. Luke 3. In Luke, the Lord is press, praying all the time. He it begins to express his dependency upon the word of the Father to him. And he does it through his, his prayerfulness, honestly. Luke 3, verse 21 now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying. The heaven was open. The Holy Ghost descended in the bodily shape like a dove unto him. And a voice came up from heaven and said, notice, thou art my beloved son and thee. I am." You see the thou? In the other passage, it says this is my, this. Here it's a thou. What's he say? What's the father saying to the son? Human, humanity, sitting there. He's being baptized of John in the River Jordan. What's he saying? You're my son. Don't ever forget it. You belong to me. You're mine. Everybody else in Matthew, when he makes that proclamation in Matthew 3, this is my beloved. He's making that proclamation to the kingdom, to the nation. This is my guy. He's mine. But in Luke, the human time, in his humanity. But notice what he's doing. He's praying. By the way, come over to chapter 6. What is prayer? Talking to the Father about what's going on, how to take his word and apply it to the details of life. It's not a hoodly do thing. It's not a vending machine where you dump it in the faith quarters and hoping to get. No, it's what? It's, hey, Father, this is what's going on. How do I take this passage and apply it to the... So here's the son praying. Talking to the Father. Okay, Father, we're doing, we're, we're doing it right, right? Yeah, okay, we're right there. Look at Luke 6, verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a, high, in, into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. How long did he pray to God? He's always praying. Now watch. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of the, them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. What's he doing in his prayer? He's picking the 12, see. He goes, he's praying about picking the 12, and then he goes out and he does it. But how did he do it? Prayerfully, as one who is in complete and total dependent to, upon the word of his Father, Coming over here, not doing it on my own will, Lord, but I, Father, but I'm doing it here, your will. Here's what you would have me to do. And he's praying about it. He's thinking about it. Come over to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 18. Chapter 9, verse 18. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? What's he praying? He's praying for the 12 to understand who he is. How do you know that? The question, whom say the people that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, the Christ of God. And he straightly charged and commanded them to tell no man that. They Notice what he, he starts the conversation with in prayer. And he's looking over, he goes, okay, guys, who do you? he's trying to get them to understand who he is. Drop down to verse 28. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, his raiment was white and glittering, and the next thing you know, we've got the Mount Transfiguration. But you see how he's praying. And he, he prayed. And now we see glorified humanity as he prayed here. What's he doing? He's, hey, guys, this is what prayer is. This is the communion. This is the conversation you are to have with the Father at all times. And who do we have? The best example of it, him. 
You guys, you, you see what's going on here? See, Luke's not just a great Sunday school storybook. There's tremendous stuff going on in here. Come over to chapter 11. 11 verse 1. 11 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, you'd get the idea that he, not, he didn't do anything but pray. <laughs> what happened? When he ceased, one of the, his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. As he prayed, what do they want? Teach us to pray. Verse 2, and he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that is, quote, unquote, the Lord's Prayer. By the way, that is not the Lord's Prayer. That's John 17. What is he praying there? Where are they? They're, he's like, hey, okay, guys, when you get over in that tribulation over there, there's a dispensational connection with prayer now. When you're in the 70th week of Daniel, when you're in that tribulation, you know what you're going to be praying? Give us our daily bread. Why? Because you're going to be hungry. Because if you don't take the mark of the beast, you can't buy and sell. You can't feed your family. You can't do anything. So what are you going to be begging for? Help. And he goes, I got a table in the wilderness for you. I got you covered. But a prayer of faith here. Come back to chapter 1. So prayer, all through Luke. Why? Because that's what man does. What does man do? We're begging, we're praying to the Father. Hey, help. I need some help. Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 35. Luke 30. Not only is prayer have priority in Luke, but so does the Holy Spirit. Luke 1 verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit's mentioned more in Luke than in Matthew and Mark combined and in John alone. Because John talks about the Holy Spirit too. The most important mention of him is right here in verse 35. Because how was the conception of accomplished? It was the work of the Father, it was the work of the Holy Spirit, and it was the work of the Son. All three. There they are. Come over to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Chapter, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Chapter 24. Luke 24, 49. And behold, I, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endured with power from on high. And that will connect us into Acts chapter 1. Very interesting. Luke, Luke chapter 2 there, verse 24 and following, you, you, you've got the, the compassion of, for humanity Luke 2, verse 24, just so you see it, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There's the poor man's sacrifice. He instantly is now, he is not king of king, lord of lords. What is he? He's just a carpenter's son. He's poor. So much so that it took the wise men showing up, gift, the three gifts to get him out of, down into Egypt. He's poor. But yet, where are you and I? Where's humanity? Poor. We're poor. Though he were rich, for your sakes he became poor, that ye might become rich, Corinthians says. You're poor. That association. By the way, in Luke, women are prominent. You've got Elizabeth, Mary, Anna, Mary, Martha, Mary Magdalene, the widow, the woman with blood. I mean, they're just, they're everywhere. They're there. Come over to chapter 8. The compassion here, his sympathy. Chapter 8, if you look at verse 42, talk, he's going to, Jairus' daughter here, for he had one only daughter, 
about 12 years of age, and she lied, lied dying. Look at that. Look at the dad's heart. I only have one daughter, and it's breaking his heart because what's, what's happened to her? She's dying. Chapter 9, verse 38. Chapter 9, verse 38. And behold, and behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, son for he is mine only child. Wow. The compassion is all through. Why? Because of that connection with humanity. Chapter 15. Well, uh, you know what? Go back to chapter 7. Sorry. Chapter 7. Chapter 7, you, you start there with the, in verse 11 and following, you've got the widow's son where she's weeping, and then he tells her don't, and he raises her. But look down at verse 29. And all the people that heard him, the publicans, testified, I'm sorry, justified God being baptized. You see the publicans? Who did they accuse the Lord of eating with? Sinners and publicans. You know who those guys are? They're not the high elite. They're just the everyday Joe. And he's right there with them. Now come over to chapter 23. Because here comes the connection in with Paul and with us. Luke 23. I just wanted, I just overview quickly. I know, okay, kind of all over the place in Luke. Just get the feel. How does he connect with your humanity? Luke teaches you that, shows you that. It's there for our learning. When it comes to Calvary, look at Luke 23, look at verse 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. You see that Calvary? That's only found in Luke. It's not in Matthew, Mark, and John. By the way, the new Bibles pull it out. So now we can't sing Calvary. It's gone. Watch verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. That's only found in Luke. Father, forgive them. The compassion in the moment. For they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast lots. The compassion there, verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. To, those, to that thief on the cross, he's, he has the power to forgive sins, doesn't he? By the way, that thief was never water baptized. So then what's the issue with God of all times? Faith. Faith in the Word of God in the moment to the people. What's the Word of God? Faith to the Word of God to the moment to these folks. Who is He? He's Lord. He's Messiah. And that's what that young man says there. Verse 42, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy... He knows exactly where he's at. Verse 46, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit... And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Quoting scripture to the very end. Now watch verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Do you know in Matthew 27 that centurion says that this is the son of God? Here Luke says, he says a righteous man. Come over to chapter 24, in verse 36. And as they spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. So we're at the resurre resurrection day later in that evening. Verse 39, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And, he gave, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and he did eat before him. What is he proving? He's resurrected humanity. He is the Son of God, but he's also what? The Son of Man. And he's resurrection. Now, come to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Luke demonstrates 
over and over the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ so that he, can, he is the Redeemer of Israel, their Messiah, yes, but also as that blessings flow through Israel to the Gentiles. That is probably why Luke is probably Paul's favorite preacher or a gospel writer. He, you got 1 Timothy. I told myself not to do it. Look over at chapter 5. We're going to do it anyway. I'll get yelled at, but that's okay. You see verse 18, 518, for the scripture saying, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. That's Luke 10. You come down against an elder, receive them the same. You know what? Paul quotes Luke. Quotes him quite a bit, actually. But look at Luke at 1 Timothy 2. And look at verse number 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Who? The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The man, Christ Jesus. What did he do? He was made a man. He's the son of God. He's made a man. He comes in and he's completely and totally dependent upon the word and the will of the Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. And Paul picks up on that and says he's the man. He's the mediator between God and men. Why? Because it is the faith of the Son of God. The verse on the back wall, Galatians (laughs) 2.20. What does he do for man? He says here's what man ought to be doing all along, and that is following the word of God at every turn. And what was man doing? Not that. He put on full display what you and I today in the age of grace ought to pick up on, and that is we ought to be obeying the word of God in every detail of life. In Luke 2, when he go, or uh, not, uh, yeah, Luke 2, when he shows up with mom and dad in the temple, and he, she say, he says to her, woman, no, he doesn't say that, Don't you know I'm about my father's business? And then instantly, you know, boom. And then it says he was subject unto them. He instantly, as a 12-year-old, took his rightful place in the family unit. He's God. He could have said, I'm God. Shut up. Listen to me. But he didn't. He says, what? I need to protect the family unit. And as a child, human child, I'll be right where I belong. And I'll be subject to Joseph and Mary. That's tremendous. What's he doing for me? Here's what Adam should have been doing from day one, and you blew it. But I'm here now to rescue you, to deliver you. And Paul picks up on that and says, the mediator is the man, Christ Jesus. That's Luke. Tremendous. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospels. We thank you for everything that we have in your son. We'll give you the honor and the glory and the blessings for everything. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll stand and be.